Behind every good story is an interesting person. This is Person of Interest with Q102's Jeff Thomas. Joe Creighton is a cheerleader of sorts. He loves Cincinnati, and he expresses that love through his work. Joe owns the popular downtown restaurant Cheapside Cafe on East 8th Street. And Mecca, the eclectic over-the-rhine bar on Walnut Street, he owns with his business partner, Jonathan Mauck. Now, many locals consider Joe Creighton to be a visionary. He's excited about the progress Cincinnati has made and the revitalization of neighborhoods like Over the Rhine. But Joe envisions a cultural renaissance in other neighborhoods like the West End, which is one of the reasons he's helping to spearhead the revitalization of Dayton Street in the West End. So we wanted to know where that passion comes from, what inspires him and what his vision of Cincinnati's future looks like. But to get there, we need to go back to the beginning. Joe Creighton is this week's person of interest. Are you originally from Cincinnati? Yep, I grew up in uh, Anderson Township. You went to high school? Yeah, I went to high school at Anderson. That's a famous Cincinnati question. Right. Um, And then I went to a few colleges. A few colleges? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. it turns out I didn't really like college is what I found out. (laughs) Were you not sure what you wanted to do? Yeah, no clue. Well, I mean, I, I had a clue. So when I went to Anderson High School, Jeff Ruby used to come watch us play football I was friends with his daughter and his sons, and they live down the street from uh, where I grew up. So we had sort of a close relationship with a couple of my buddies and I, and I'd always be around when he was opening restaurants, and he had no clue that I was sitting there watching, like, this is what I want to do, because I'm into design, and we'd be sitting in his office up at his house, and there'd be statues and all the stuff that he was bringing in to go in the next restaurants. I can remember being down at uh, his birthday party at Jeff Ruby's downtown, a um, couple places at the waterfront that were opening, I think like Las Brisas, Tropicana, Carlo and Johnny. So I got to watch and see that just, you know, being around him. And I think that's where I got the bug to wanting to do that. And he's a pretty colorful guy and being around that was always fun. So that's interesting because I don't think I've ever heard anyone that works in the restaurant business say that it was really the design aspect of it yep. that attracted them to yep. it. And uh, I mean, when I was younger, I, I, I'm going to say about my t- early 20s is when I started getting into this and uh, I would always sketch ideas up for bars and restaurants and um, I can remember the thing that got me into the restaurant was uh, a bunch of my buddies John Malk my partner at Cheapside they all worked at this place called Boca which I used to get oh, confused yeah. with Buca de Beppo <laughs> back ahead and I was like what is this place I'm like oh and this one it all started on Northside so I was around all these guys like oh you gotta come try this place and when I tried that food, along with having a steak at, you know, the waterfront was a big deal for me because I never tasted food like that. We didn't eat like that in my family. You know, we didn't go out to super nice restaurants like that. Yeah. I mean, Boca's considered fine dining. Oh, yeah. When I went to Boca, I mean, I was like, holy. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't know food could taste like that. So that's how, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these things came to light. Can I tell you, you and I share the passion for Boca because yeah. Boca was the first quote-unquote fine dining restaurant that I would say really officially made me a foodie because prior to that, I was just a straight-ahead meat and potatoes guy, Mm -hmm. didn't want to try anything fancy or new, nothing too pretty on a plate. And David Falk had the ability to take things that I would never even go near and turn it into something amazing and make me curious and want to try new Uh, things. Yeah, I mean, it was David, John, I mean, the guys that were... That I got to watch, you know, because I hung around these guys and uh, they're still friends today, but... 
they just had like this group of people. It was just like, and you know, a lot of them turned out to be really successful at what they do. It was just crazy. It was like they were having fun, doing cool food. It was the cool place, cool music. Remember the playlists were always cool. The cocktails were cool. You know, the design was cool. It was different, you know, and you could see that they tried to do that. And that's, I, I got to give it to them. I mean, I would have never thought food could taste like that, you know. So when you got out of high school, like, where did you even start? Did, <laughs> Miami, Miami, Oxford. I, uh, and what was the plan? Like, what did you start studying? I had studying? no plan. No? no. There was no, I had no, cl- I never really did well in school. So did you go to culinary school? No, no. You major in design since you were into yeah, design? Yeah, I went to school for, I, I did like two years in interior design. So I, I did a little bit of construction, a little bit of design, all these things that I could later use that I never knew were all going to come together. Because when you're building restaurants, you ha- it's good to have that you know, background in construction, and it was a little bit of everything. And I would say a lot, too, is how much I traveled. My parents liked to travel everywhere when we were little. In the summertime, we'd always travel and went to almost every single state, you know, by the time I was, like, 18 years old. And they were also big into musicals. So we'd go to musicals and plays, and I think I just brought all that together because that's, you know, really what a restaurant or dining experiences you're putting on a play for people you know so growing up so close to the rubies did you often get advice from jeff ruby no well well, he would give us advice in life you know just how to shake a person's hand correctly and it's all these things because you're you know you're everywhere you're you were everywhere with him and so many people would be around when he was around i mostly learned for him how to bust each other's balls like we (laughs) Yeah, but you wouldn't go to him talk. like you could. You wouldn't call him up and say, you know, hey Jeff, like I'm thinking of maybe getting into no, the business never. someday. Do you have any advice? For no, me? I never, I never said a word to him about it. I think he was like, what, you know, when I when I finally started to open a place. But uh, yeah, I never asked. Yeah, you know, it was just being around it. So at, at what point did you kind of zero in on where well, you were headed? Um, I had an office job and I was so unhappy with it, and I think someone called me copy boy. And I said, that was it. I was done. <laughs> so I was like, I'm done with this. That was the straw. That yeah, that was the straw. I'm like, I'm not. And you, you, being in the office, everyone was always bitching about something, not happy. You know, the office politics. I'm like, I, I want nothing to do with this. Like, I want to have, I want to do something where the people that work there are having fun. Yeah. And what I'm doing when they come there, they're having fun. You know, you stay in a job like that long enough. You know, eventually you get promoted, you start making more money, and then you find yourself trapped. Yep. It's like, oh, I've been doing this for so long, and even though I hate it, I'm kind of good at it, so yep. I, I don't really have anywhere to go. And then you're, and the older you get, I think the more afraid you are to try something new. Yeah, for sure. To step out of your comfort zone so and after, take a risk. After that, I started working uh, with one of my buddies. How are we going to get a bar open? So a lot of buddies have had that conversation, yeah, yeah. by the way. Hey, dude, how are we going to get a bar open? And this is uh, about 2005, 2006, and there was nothing. I mean, you know, people back in that time were not proud of Cincinnati. They'd be like, oh, I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know, and they would say, I'm I'm from Cincinnati. You know, with that, <laughs> that type of tone, I'm like, I always wanted people to be like, I'm from Cincinnati. And be proud and, of You it. know, and have that pride, and I think... A lot of this ties over to uh, history. So I started looking, getting big into the history of Cincinnati. And, it's, and I saw a guy's name, my, what sparked my interest was this guy, Boss Cox. So that started my whole uh, obsession with the history of Cincinnati and uh, finding out it was the Paris of America and all these saloons that were here and all these things that started here. I'm like, holy shit, you know, if people can, if people knew that, they yeah. would start to get pride. Oh, I'm from Cincinnati. And I think. I just got lucky enough that when I started doing stuff that everyone started, you know, there was a resurgence in Cincinnati. You know, I can, 
Well, I look outside now and I can't believe what has happened. I could only dream that, you know. But, but you're saying if people understood what a, a cultural entertainment mecca Cincinnati was, they would not only be proud of that, but maybe try to recapture that in the neighborhoods where it once took place. The infrastructure's here. Yeah. I mean, these guys built it. Right. It's all in place. It's, it's interesting to me that you bring up the, this all sort of clicked for you in yeah. 2005, maybe yeah. 2006, because this was around the time that we saw the birth of the revitalization. I moved here in 2002, yep. and I find it fascinating when you say that Cincinnati sort of had a major self-image problem. People, a lot of people didn't feel good about the fact that they were from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I remember the weekend I flew in for the interview for the job at Q102, I asked the lady at the front desk at the hotel where we were staying, I said, so you're from Cincinnati. I'm thinking about moving here and taking a job. How do you like living in Cincinnati? She said, ugh. I hate Cincinnati. It's just so horrible. Yeah, it's what everyone people. used to do. Right. But I was looking around this place, and I'm from Boston originally, and I saw a lot of similarities between where I grew up and Cincinnati in the sense that you have old architecture coexisting with new architecture. There's art. There's history. There's culture here. But there was something that just for whatever reason, and I think maybe the riots of 2001 had mm -hmm. something to do with that, yeah. that this city at the time was really down on itself. Maybe we had an old guard that was yeah. running the city and oh, couldn't yeah. get out of its own way. So yeah. they didn't see the city for what it could be yeah. again. For sure. And I think uh, I, I skipped a little part there. I, I, <laughs> one of the schools I went to was down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and I lived on King Street downtown. And the architecture there is beautiful, but... You know, I'm seeing these tours go by and all these people are looking up at these buildings and we want to know the history. And I'm like, hold on a second. You know, we have this and we have about 10 times the amount of this arch architecture in Cincinnati. And, and history, I don't think was really talked about. And then you find out how fun, how wild, how artistic Cincinnati was. And when people started finding that out, that's when this all started to snowball, I feel like. And then redoing over the Rhine and uh, everything they've done there. So at this point, when you're talking to your buddy about opening a bar, it's this is going to be more than just a bar. Yeah, it was going to, well, it's, it was always going to be called Boss Cox. And that, that was the name of the place. And we actually, it was a very expensive lesson I learned at 26 years old <laughs> about contractors and a lot of other things. But um, we had been working on the bar and everyone wasn't moving. You know, I couldn't get any excitement. And the one thing I wanted to do was have a group of people do a district, you know. I didn't want to be the only place there. I wanted someone to do another store across the street. So we had, we could create our own little block. Mm. And that was always a dream, you know. I'd always be like, yeah, we'll play wiffle ball games out in the, out in the street. You oh, know, so you're saying afternoon. like other businesses, like not just a bar business, but maybe somebody opens up a uh, pastry place. Correct. And we got really close. So on uh, about 2007, uh, I started to give up on it. And I said, you know, I'm going to go down. To, I stayed uh, with my brother-in-law and sister down in Florida and as soon as I move all my stuff down there, I get a phone call. Hey, there's a group of guys that want to do this thing on West 4th Street. And so I find myself driving back up here. And then I literally, I'm in beautiful Florida, but I don't think I left my room for about uh, two months writing a business plan and coming up with the whole concept of this place. So then there was a, these guys opened a nightclub called Bang Nightclub. And then we were going to do this place called Boss Cox next door. Wow, I remember that. And uh, funny as hell, Dan Wright... We were working together. and Dan Wright, who's made a name for himself with Pontiac Barbecue and Over the Rhine, Abigail Street, Senate. Senate, yeah, and, you know, all, all those places. And we had, we would have these conversations with people and they'd say, you know, what do you think you guys are going to do? Get in Food and Wine magazine and, you know, say all these things to us. And we're like, yes. Why and not? They, yeah, they would like, they everyone would laugh at us. I'm like, yeah, we're going to, you know. 
that project fell through. We got, I think we, we demoed the entire thing, got it white boxed. And that was 2008 when the, when the market fell apart. So it was like horrible timing. <laughs> and up that's restaurant. when you were 26. I was 25, right? There. 25. Yeah, when that happened. Yeah. Um, as we were building that space out, and it was taking so long because they had to redo the whole building. Structurally, it was falling apart. I mean, it was a mess. And uh, I don't think I was surrounded by the best people. Right. To, to lead me on uh, through that situation. Not the right uh, fit. Yeah, not the right fit with no. the contractor. <laughs> and so uh, while that was going on, we get a phone call from the... Uh, the Rippy family, who owns uh, Celestial's building and the Rookwood, and they say, "Hey, you guys want it? This is a turnkey place. You know, you guys want to take it over. All you have to do is some good food and you know fix up the interior, and it'll it'll be great." <laughs> and so, wow, me being 20, 25, 26 years old, I'm like, "Yeah, let's do two at once." With zero restaurant experience, <laughs> so we ended up uh, getting that place together. Is that when you opened the Rookwood? Yeah, I was twenty six when we opened the Rookwood in two thousand eight. And when we did that, when we did that place, it was supposed to be just streamlined, and we named it the Rookwood again because it was classic and want people to be proud of their history. Was that a previous restaurant before? Yep, it had been a, a bunch of different restaurants. I think it was its best when it was wild. I think, yeah, late 70s, I think they used to call it like High on the Hill, and it was real wild. Did it always have those kilns, those, yep. those private little rooms yep. there? Yeah, it okay. always had those in it. It was very, very successful and pretty wild up there, and I think the landlords wanted it to be a m little more you know, quieter because it's up in Mount Adams, and uh, I think uh, it went through a bunch of different restaurants. Yeah. Um, a couple different places. So you named it the Rookwood. Yep. You had a great menu. You know, it was very accessible, a little eclectic. <laughs> yeah. We were trying to save everything we were doing for Boss Cox at this time for Boss Cox. So the history part took us into these things called craft cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had no clue. Dan and I had gone up to New York uh, with our other partner, Lance, and uh, we had gone to a bunch of places and there had been a place that I had seen online only for design reasons did we go because I loved their front door and they had this logo in their uh, concrete out front of the front door. And it was um, Death & Co, I believe. It's like the most famous cocktail bar, huh. turns out now. And they were the ones that pretty much were the only ones doing craft cocktails in the country that we knew of, yeah. you know. But just uh, having the history, you know, we like to have the big square ice cubes and you know, make big blocks ice, but that only came from the love of history because we were looking into the, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s. That's that's the only reason we started doing that, having no clue that it would become like this huge thing. So that stuff was pretty cool. And uh, at the Rookwood, you know, first couple months started going well, and then it started, you know, started go downhill a little. I and mean, I just looked at myself, I'm like, this is really hard. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. And if it fails, it fails. But right. at least I'm going to do what I love. So we started just being ourselves, people growing their hair out, having, you know, huge beards. And this is like 2008. I remember we used to get made fun of a lot. Like, does everyone have to wear a flannel and have beards that works here? <laughs> but it was sort of, you know, and I want to, this is me, so I'll just talk freely. It's sort yeah. of my middle finger to Cincinnati being so conservative. It's like, come over to our house, enjoy some food. We're not going to have ties on. You're not going to have some piano music playing in the background. This is sort of like, you know, a little rock and roll when you come here. It's, 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 you're coming over to our house to hang out, like chill out, relax. Come as you, know, you are. Yeah, have some chef driven food in a, like a bar atmosphere. Right. Don't take yourself so seriously. Without the pretense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone takes themselves so seriously in the city, I feel like. And it's like, 
about breaking that mold, about breaking those clicks. And that's all I've ever wanted to do in Cincinnati. So flash forward a few years later when we opened Cheapside Cafe up on A Street, you know, whatever we were going to do was, or whatever I'm always going to do is do something completely different. I spend more time researching stuff so that I don't do the same thing someone else did. Yeah. At Rookwood, we had those Edison light bulbs. I used to have to special order those from Fayette Electric because you couldn't find them anywhere. The Tolex Bistro bar stools, I had to special order those because you couldn't find them anywhere. All these little things that turned out to be trends. Now you and, see them everywhere. Well, we did that stuff because, first of all, it wasn't, you know, it was affordable to, you know, that, that light bulb made the whole light fixture look better at Rookwood. And, uh, you know, we used a lot of wood, uh, reused wood to make the tables. That's because I don't want a laminate table from a restaurant supply store, you know, it was to get rid of that whole feel, those, you know, the the booths that all look the same, the that whole feel that all the restaurant stuff Copycat had. Copycat sort of restaurant yeah. mold you know, that was just everywhere. They call it inbred mediocrity, you know. Wow. It's trying to shed that, you know. Yeah. And I want Cincinnati to shed that because you have all these schools here, you know, you have DAP at UC and you had all these super talented people. They're all here. And then they were leaving. And to me, that was crazy. It's just like... How do we keep everyone here? All, all these talented people are moving to L.A., New York, all these other places, and they're becoming big time there, you know, in, in their fields. It's like, how do we get everyone to stay here? And that's, to me, one of the most important things, and that's breaking that mold of what people think Cincinnati is. So Rookwood was open for how long? Um, nine years. And then due to, a, what was it, a dispute with the landlord, or it just got to be too expensive? Oh, he always hated me. Like, from day one. I mean, <laughs> truthfully speak, I'd never talk about this stuff, but... You know, he'd say, you need to cut your hair, and what are you doing in this? You don't know what you're doing. And that was my life for eight years. So just, for you, it was time to move on. Yeah, it was just, you know, I I have a hard time quitting things. <laughs> and so that I probably should have closed that in year three, but just kept going and kept doing everything I could to keep it going, you know, because I never want something to fail. But as you get older and you realize, hey, this is just a business, if the business isn't working, you know, everyone's going to suffer around you from that. And I knew I had to be the best me. And moving forward, after they tried to raise the rent, it was it was just time to close it. We needed to... I spent more time arguing with the landlord than I got to spend on the restaurant up there. So I was like, I am finished with this. You know, I was getting... I just gotten married. I wasn't going to do it anymore. Because we saw the success of us being us down at Cheapside Cafe. You know, our neighbors are sending us flowers. Welcome to the neighborhood. And... You know, we love what you're doing, and we didn't get that up in Mount Adams because, you know, we didn't really fit in up there. So while you're dealing with all this up in Mount Adams, Cheapside Cafe is just singing. And you get along with the neighbors, and everybody's happy. This place is going like gangbusters. And it was every—Rookwood being so big, was 15,000 square feet, and we tried to do everything by hand, and our cocktail is very difficult to do in a restaurant of that size. Yeah. So— when we went downtown, we picked a really small space. That was our number one thing that you could see from the kitchen to the front. And we did it exactly the way we wanted to do it. And that was the most important thing to us is to say, hey, this is exactly how we want this place. And this is us. And this is what we can do. And it just took off. And for someone who's never been to Cheapside, what do you get at Cheapside? Simplicity and consistency is what I would say. Breakfast and lunch. Yeah. And it's got a, a very West Coast vibe to it. And that was, I think... Um, one of my little stints, I lived in Baja for three and a half months outside on the on the West Coast. And just that West Coast, that dry, light, airy feel to it, and I think was very important. And Cheapside is on 8th Street near the courthouse. Yep, East 8th Street. It's got a big teepee out front. You can dine in one of the teepees. And then Mecca. Oh, uh, yeah, Mecca. Mecca, 
is uh, our bar on Walnut Street, and with watching all this stuff go on with craft cocktails and everyone doing the exact same thing, I felt like for a good five years there, I think there's a lot of monkey see, monkey do, instead of trying to break out of trends and create a new one, I think people just take the easy route and say, hey, I want that. And that to me is death. Like I can't, I can't, I, I could never wake up in the morning if I just did something that already existed. But it takes a visionary to see, because, you know, when you look backwards, you think, boy, it's all been done before. So everything's been done before, but I think it's how you put those puzzle pieces together. You know, I think it's just the timing of when you do it and how you put them together. So Mecca, we had these big plans all drawn up, an expensive, a big budget, and it just didn't feel right. And that was a, a lot of my problem with a lot of things going on is I want place, I want to feel the owner and the people that own the spot. I want to feel that in those spaces because that's what makes them special. Someone who's great at those, uh, Terry, who owns Terry's Turf Club. You're right. And he owned uh, Neons. And he's the one who made Neons Neon. You know, he was the one who had the vision to bring it all the architectural stuff into it and build it the way he did. It's got a very unique personality, but you feel very comfortable inhabiting that space. And you don't know why. And there's so much stuff everywhere, but just how it was all put together. And I think that that's what makes a, a place special. You know, like the, the, the clicking of the train going around at zips, that, you know, those little things are all what make a space, you know, special. So describe Mecca for people who've never been there. <laughs> oh man. Wild, um, artistic explosion, I would say. So Mecca's concept, we threw away those plans and we said, screw it. We're going to figure out how we're going to do this. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're not going to spend, you know, and we're not going to have a big budget. We're just going to put the plumbing in basically and figure out how we can get this place open. So it happened completely organically. My wife uh, is an artist. She graduated in fine art from DAP. So she had a bunch of friends that are very, very talented artists. One of my buddies who used to work at Urban Sites, Seth Maney, knew of where we could get some places were closing. And we got an old bar from one of the bars that closed down and just redid it. Uh, my brother-in-law's bowling alley at Princeton Bowl shut down. So a lot of the tables and there's bowling balls. And we had a bunch of free stuff. And it was like, how do we figure out a way to make all this work? And it just one piece organically, one piece at a time, it's been built. And that's the whole concept is this thing's never finished. It will have, you know, in 50 years, it'll have 50 layers. And that's the whole concept for Mecca. It's not a concept. What we did with the bar program, I mean, I love it because to me, and after being in this business for a long time, you know, I want my employees to be happy at work. Like, I don't want them to be unhappy because I want to be happy when I go to work. So we made the simplest bar program. And a lot of the reason I did that was because, you know, you go to a bar now, there's 50 craft beers, 50 craft cocktails, and sometimes you just stand there and you're like, uh, you know, you don't want to think, I, I don't want to think when I go to a bar, I want to go, if I'm going to a bar, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to catch a buzz. I'm going to have fun, you right. know? So we just, we have a super small, slim beer list. We have, we don't really do craft cocktails or any of that stuff. It's just a place to come let loose and have fun. So give me some examples on the slim beer list of what you have on there. Are we talking domestic? Miller High Life. All right. So. <laughs> we, have, we have a couple uh, craft breweries. Uh, we have a uh, Rheingeist. Uh, we have a Mad Tree. Um, so, so you're not like you're not anti craft 
breweries necessarily. You just want to keep it simple and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not anti anything. It just this was a place for people not to have to think so much. Right. You know. And as far as cocktails are concerned, you know, if I just want a a bourbon, you got it. Yeah. Well, when we first started, we were just going to do light and dark beer, just one light beer and one dark beer, and then one light and like three liquors. Like that's all we were going to do, and I got talked out of that. But uh. Which liquors were you thinking of doing? Uh, just Jack Daniels, and then we were going to do a vodka. Yeah. Yeah, just keep it simple. Because I remember, you know, to me, all the stuff's funny and fun to do because full circle, I can remember people being so pissed that we didn't serve Budweiser at Rookwood when we first opened, and Bud Light, they're like, it would, they would be, think we were idiots. I'm like, there's, you know, I want you to do something different. I always want people to do something different. And there's really great craft cocktail bars in the city. Why would I do that. Why would I do what someone else has already done? You can go, um, one of my favorite bars is Longfellow's right around the corner. Like why, if they're doing that, why would I try to recreate it? And I think of it as a, being a visitor from out of town, you know, when you come from out of town and everyone's doing the same thing. Isn't that a little weird? If every restaurant you go to, they're serving the same potato chip, the same bread, you know, everything's going to taste the same. So you gotta, you gotta mix everything up. If I see someone do something, I'm going to try to do something the total opposite. And that's just so our city has diversity, you know. Coming up next, why Joe Creighton winces when people compare Over the Rhine to trendy neighborhoods in other cities. And the neighborhood in Cincinnati he's betting is on the cusp of a cultural renaissance. We'll be back with more Person of Interest in a moment. And now... Person of Interest with Q102's Jeff Thomas continues. Welcome back. We're talking with Joe Creighton, who owns the downtown restaurant Cheapside Cafe and the Over the Rhine Bar Mecca. Where did I read? It's not somewhere I heard that when people compare OTR to a Brooklyn or a really cool, funky, eclectic city like a Portland, Oregon, something, you you don't like it. Yeah, I just think we, I mean, we need to own our city and own us. Why, you know, that's my whole thing is. Stop trying to be yeah, someone don't try else. To be someone else. Be yourself, and you know we should be proud of Cincinnati and what we are and what we do. We're not trying to do what other cities do. This city's so unique with its architecture and geographically how the hillsides overlook the city with the river running through it. I mean, it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's got. I don't even think you know the surface has been scratched to what we can really do. And if you look at the city of how built out it was in the late 1800s, I mean, it was quadruple what it is now. I mean the Building stretch from hillside to hillside, so yeah, I don't like I don't like the comparison. You know, I it, it's you know when they say other cool cities, I'm like that means a lot, but I just want people to think to themselves like we are Cincinnati, we are our own place, we are a creative place. You know. So I was driving down Dayton Street in the West End earlier today. That's and, where that's where I live. And I was looking at, I went from end to end Mm -hmm. and right like to the point where you pick it up from the 75 dead Mm -hmm. end. If you took out all the cars, it would look like the back lot of a movie set. Yeah. And that's funny you say that. I actually picked um, Mecca's spot based on that because when you stand in Mecca's patio and you look up, it looks like you're in a movie set because you have these uh, old buildings or the backdrop. And that's funny you said that, because that's why I think all of Cincinnati looks like an old movie set. 
You know, do you think that's the next hot spot here soon? I know there's talk oh, that maybe 100%. FC Cincinnati will come. And I did notice there; it looked like there were some demo crews, maybe some construction crews. I that think since working. we bought our house, I think there have been six houses that are being redone, which is pretty crazy. And it's been a lot of fun to be in that neighborhood when all this is going on. We totally rehabbed a house there. I just think when you get across Central over there and you pull over into the front of Dane Street, there's just some sort of weird energy. That's where they settled the city. So they picked that area for a reason. And if you, mm. I don't know, if you just stand there and you look up at the hillsides and, like I said again, geographically, how it is and with the architecture, I mean, it feels out of this world. I always, <laughs> you know, I always talk about with my wife that people are always uh, complaining they need to go on vacation, they need to go on vacation. I'm like, you can make your life feel like vacation based on where you live. And and uh, I say that all, all the time. I have a golf cart at my house. I drive through the city, you know. I drive to, over to Finley Market and I... Drive it downtown, and you know if you if you pick the right locations, you can have that joy all the time. I feel like. So, what's in your future? Right now, try. We just had a baby, <laughs> so that's been a lot of my focus. Congratulations! Had, yeah, our little Harper Rose was born on uh, December fourth, and that's our that's been the focus of this year: streamlining. I've always been doing like, just you see three projects open, but I've designed twenty and had twenty different leases signed. You know. A lot of things fall through, but you just keep going until the things that, you know, that stick and that work. So that's why I, I try to tell people all the time, like, you only see the good, you know, on Instagram, on Facebook, people only post the good, you know. So I'm like, there's there's a lot of things you just got to keep, you know, going at it. It took, I was looking at Dayton Street for 10 years before we bought a house. As a know? possibility of living there? Yeah. Doing more with Dayton Street? I would like to do a couple businesses over there for sure. You know, just so you think of, Dayton Street could sort of like be the starting point for a rebirth? I think it already the West End. I think it definitely already is with what's going on right now. The thing is, it's it's very difficult to uh, get a house over there. A lot of people won't sell them. Yeah, I mean they love them, so you know a lot of people won't leave that area. That um, not necessarily they can't take care of the houses. They still won't leave them. Yeah. You know, I've, there's neighbors have been offered. You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of cash and they still won't leave. It's the craziest thing. I've never seen anything like it. So, yeah, I think that's the next area. You know, there's they're already, to me, the little secret spot right now that's, and they're doing the coolest stuff is Finley Market. I think uh, a model group is doing some, uh, a guy named Matt Reckman's picking a lot of like really cool things for the spaces that are going in over there. You have like the Rind is over there, and then there's the new restaurant below uh, Rheingeist is over there. The, grocery store deeper roots it's like this own little hangout that no one really talks about right now it's so crazy to me i love it because it's like a private little getaway right now so there's the baby and what else do you see in your future for not just you but for the for the city of cincinnati to keep building keep doing fun things that's my main thing is to keep doing fun creative things for the city i have a million ideas so it's just like uh, you know, I drive my wife nuts because I'm usually like looking off in the distance. She's like, oh, my God, like, what are you thinking about now? My thing is to literally make people you know, do projects where people can say, oh, you know, that's only in Cincinnati and that they're proud of and that the fun. You know, there's so much negativity with social media and all that stuff. It's I feel like if you concentrate on doing positive, fun stuff, you know, that's what makes a city great. I me personally will always try to push the envelope. I think the biggest thing I want to do is bring everyone together because, you know, it just makes a strong, fun city. I always think about what our kids are going to say about us. You know, like, thank God my parents made this place fun is all I want my daughter to say. Like, thank God they set up some infrastructure for us to succeed and 
love where we're from. So, yeah. Joe Creighton, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. Person of Interest is produced by Natalie Jones. And if you found Joe Creighton as interesting as we did, send us an email to POI, which stands for Person of Interest, POI at WKRQ.com. And feel free to make a suggestion for a future Person of Interest. We're going to continue to produce more of these episodes in the coming months, so be sure to periodically check back with us. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, for Person of Interest, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening. These are the people behind the stories that matter to you. Thanks for listening to Q102's Person of Interest with Jeff Thomas.